Well, at this time, I'll invite you guys to turn in your Bibles or open up your devices to Exodus, Exodus 35. Uh, and just to give you guys a little context, we've been going through the sermon series in the, through, the, through the book of Exodus, and the design for worship has been given, but today uh, uh, we come to the building of the tabernacle and how worship begins for Israel. God has recommitted himself to being their Lord and their Savior, and now the work of building the tabernacle of worship, it begins. And so this morning, Dean will be focusing on Exodus 35, but we're going to read verses 4 through 21 this morning. Verses 4 through 21 of Exodus 35. This is the word of the Lord. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, all of us want a sense of place, don't we? We all want a sense of belonging. We look for it in our relationships. We look for it when we even buy a home. Uh, We identify with our neighborhoods. We identify with our city. We identify with our church and its place, like we have even here today. We want community, and we want a a place to do community, if you will. But but you got to understand, place is more than a building. Place is more than a building. It's more than a location. It's both where you are and who you are with, that's what place is. In his book, No Sense for Place, 
Uh, Joshua Meyerowitz suggests that a prolonged exposure in our time to media, to television, to internet, among other things, actually robs our sense of place with people. Meyerowitz suggests that we are no longer shaped by who we are, or particularly who we are with, but instead we're shaped by artificial, even imagined associations in the media without any real sense of presence. Uh, This we see in many places, but yet while we see so many places in our world and so many circumstances, we have no sense of place in the midst of that. In fact, connecting face-to-face is quite a challenge in our time. Holy smokes, hasn't the whole COVID experience been that for us the last year? Uh, Isolation, social distancing have made that kind of face-to-face connection harder. But it does beg a question for all of us. And the question is this, where is your sense of place? Where do you belong? Where do you connect with people? Who is present with you in your life? Well, today, in this text, that is exactly what we're going to look at, this whole idea of a sense of place in Exodus 35, and we're going to use this sermon and this part of Exodus 35 to really cover a bunch of chapters, although I'm not going to go through all of them, particularly 35, uh, chapters 35 through 40, where Moses leads in the building of the tabernacle, the sense of place with God in particular. So that brings us to our questions for the text in particular, and it's this, how does God build a sense of place so we can be with him? And just as importantly, In a two-way relationship with God that we have, how can we participate with God in building that sense of place together? So, here's the context. We're back in Exodus 35, uh, where Moses, uh, or really, you got to look at Exodus 35 as a pointer to Exodus 25, some chapters back. That's where Moses was on Mount Sinai talking with God. And while he was up there, for several chapters, God gave him clear directives on what he wanted the tabernacle to look like. He gave him the design uh, for building a tabernacle. It was to be the place where God's people would interact with the Lord. Now, in Exodus 35 through 40, Moses mobilizes the people to actually execute the plan, uh, to follow through and build the tabernacle. Now, why? was a tabernacle such a big deal? Well, there's several things we can say about that. And what you may not know is this tabernacle they built here in this scripture was actually meant to be right in the middle of the millions of Israelites and their tribes in the community, right in the middle. And all the tribes, various ones, would be around the tabernacle in the middle of the community. Millions of Israelites to to gather around God's place, if you will, in the center of the camp. Now, what the people would do is that they were supposed to go to the tabernacle regularly to seek the Lord, to pray, to worship, to hear the Word of God, what God wanted of them. In short, the tabernacle itself gave them a sense of place with God. But don't miss the symbolism of what gets to the pur- one of the purposes of the tabernacle. It was a living metaphor in the community of God's people in that it It was God-centered. God was to be central to everything that the people did as individuals and even together. And the fact that the whole tabernacle is in the middle of the people illustrates this God-centeredness. 
Now, right off the bat, that, that's an application for us uh, that goes with our sense of place as followers of Jesus Christ. We are to make God and His glory the center of everything we do as a people. And this is no doubt a challenge for many of us as sinners. However, the setup of the Old Testament church was such, and this is true even of the New Testament church, that God's the very center of everything, the focal point. Every day the Israelites would wake up and they would see the tabernacle in the middle of the community as a way to say, make God the center of your life, everything in your life. That's one purpose, is that it focused people on God as the center of their community. But there's another purpose that really gets to the heart of the tabernacle in its uh, existence. And that purpose was this. It was where God dwelled, particularly with his old covenant people. It's where God dwelled with his old covenant people. And you remember, while the Israelites are going through, uh, coming out of Egypt... Uh, and were going through the wilderness. They had the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. Uh, they sat at the, the bottom of Mount Sinai, and they actually uh, could, could hear the rumblings of God in this amazing and frightening, in some ways, Shekinah glory going on on Mount Sinai. But here, in the tabernacle, is where that same presence of God would come down and settle with the people. It was, if you will... Emmanuel, God with us. So if you want to understand the tabernacle or later on the temple, for you Bible scholars, it's all about that that is where God dwells among his people. It was a manifestation of God coming and God coming through on his great promise that's for you and for me today too. And what is the number one promise in Scripture? I am with you. I will be with you. I won't let you go. The tabernacle was that sense of place where they knew God was with them. Now, in Exodus 35, Moses is mobilizing the people to build that tabernacle. And in verses 4 through 9, Moses calls the people to step up and to give their valuables and resources to build the temple. Look at with me at verse 5 here. It says this, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. Now, let me clarify real quick for those of you who are also Bible scholars. These are not tithes that they're bringing. They're actually what we call free will offerings. And the text tells us these millions of, of Israelites would bring their finest materials of gold, silver, bronze, all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of fabric, among other things, in order to build the temple. Now, you've got to understand that uh, this free will offering is really quite impressive, and here's why. Um, it, it says that later on in chapter 38 that they gave, you ready for this, over one ton of gold, over three tons of silver, and over two tons of bronze, and then a host of other fine materials, some of which, by the way, they brought out of Egypt. So here they're giving it unto the Lord, and their generosity shows exactly what Jesus says later on in Matthew 6, which is this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Now, what's this got to do with us? Well, we could make a quick application that we should save our best in our givings to the Lord. The first fruits is the language of Scripture. Uh, we highlight at SCPC also that you got to know it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice, just as, what, as Moses was calling the people to do in their free will off, offering. And I'm happy to report that our congregation is doing a great job of giving, and I want to keep encouraging you, and let's keep building those rhythms. And if you're just learning how to give to God's kingdom, just remember it takes a process, it takes time building in your life and schedule, but that is part of the rhythm of building a sense of place by giving. But here's the thing. i got to ask you a question. Why are they giving? What is it that is going on here? Why were they so generous to give a... Oh, over a couple of tons of gold. Well, you got to understand that the prior chapters of what happened. In chapters 25 through 31, God gave Moses directives, here's how you build the tabernacle. And Moses at the same time is up on Mount Sinai getting these directives. You know what's going on down at the bottom of Mount Sinai? Uh, the people of God were actually collecting gold, but not for God. They were collecting gold to build a golden calf. Now, of course, this was offensive to God, and, it, and, and the Scriptures use the language of adultery to describe this kind of action done against God. And, and God uh, sees all this, and along with Moses, says this about the sense of place. He basically says this about the adulterous uh, Israelites. I will not be with you. But here's what happens. Moses intercedes, and he asks God to have mercy and to forgive the rebels. In a series of requests, Moses asked God to love his people and to reveal his uniqueness as a saving God. And you know how God answers each of those prayers? You've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. He answers it with yes every time. Yes, I want to show them my glory. Yes, I want to save them Yes, I want to forgive them. You know why that is? Because God is a generous God. Our God is a generous God eager to give out love and faithfulness, mercy and kindness. He's eager to give it to us. Now, this, this, this eagerness shows up in last week in Exodus 34 when God even renewed a covenant with the people and recommitted himself to being their God through this mediator, Moses. The key here is, through Moses, God wanted to generously re-engage with people. And that's us, guys. When we wander off from God in various and sundry ways, and I have my moments too, God re-engages us with generosity. He wants to give first to us. So, here's why the people were so generous in light of that. They've been saved by grace. They've been saved by a generous grace. The tabernacle you see sitting in the middle of the people was a symbol of the free gift of God and his grace. It was where God was saying, yeah, you all blew it, but here it is. I love you and I'm with you. I'm here. I'm with you. You fall away, you run away, but I'm here. So you see, it was grace, not guilt, 
that motivated their generosity. Grace turned them into cheerful givers because they understood, look at God has rescued us by his grace. What motivates you in your giving? Really? What motivates you in the giving of resources to the Lord? Real generosity is motivated by grace taken in and how God has been good to you. You know, years ago, my first pastorate, something happened that I'll never forget. Uh, One Sunday, I was preaching, and about halfway through a sermon, this guy walks in the back of the congregation, and I can see him. And he walks in, and he comes in, and he's a young guy, and he kind of sits in one of the back pews. Now, I'm just getting rolling my sermon, but then about a few minutes later, he makes his way up, gets up and makes his way up a few more pews. And keeps coming forward, and then he does it again. Now, at this point, while I'm preaching, everybody's not looking at me anymore. They're looking at this guy. They're wondering, what is he doing? Because every few minutes, he keeps working his way up the pews closer to me. So I get to the end of the sermon. uh, I pray, and we start to sing the last hymn. And finally, this guy starts to come towards me. And I can tell all the men, if they had guns, they'd be ready to go. They were on edge. And this guy comes up to me, and I'm thinking, is he going to shoot me? (laughs) And he says, Pastor, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure. He said, "Um, you know, 10 years ago, I broke into this church, and me and some friends stole a bunch of stuff. And I just wanted to come here and ask for forgiveness from the people. And I said, hmm, I think we can help you with that, bro. So the song ends, and all the people are looking and going, what is happening right now? And I say, this young man wants to say a few words. And so he gets up, and he says exactly what he told me. You could hear a pin drop. And then it happened. One by one, these old people who had been at this church and knew all about this moment when they had, all the stuff had been stolen, they started coming forward. And they reached out to him, shook his hand, hugged him, said, we forgive you. We forgive you. Guys, that's exactly what happens with us. God is coming towards you. And this sense of presence in the tabernacle is where he's saying, I want to give you grace and forgiveness. And I want you to enjoy it and taste it. God is eager to give you that grace. And here's what happens. When you internalize that grace, Luke 7 says it well, those who are forgiven much love much. They're generous in what they do in love. Do you feel like you're someone who's holding back today? Holding back in relationship, holding back in generosity, not just of stuff you give to church or even other people, but just the whole of who you are. Let me ask you, when was the last time you were forgiven and you felt it? You really felt it. So, Moses collects a load of stuff from a forgiven people who knew what God had done for them in grace, but he was not done. 
after mobilizing the people to give, he gave them a call to serve. Look at verse 10 in our text. It says, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Moses mobilizes all the skilled workers led by a couple of guys named Bezalel, and I hate this name, I can never say it correctly, the O guy, how's that? And they actually lead the charge in building the tabernacle and all the pieces and furniture and whatnot that was mentioned earlier. They built drapes uh, around the actual uh, courtyard, much like our pipe and drape right here, except uh, it was a large kind of space. And then there was also in it uh, an actual space uh, that was called the holy place that included within it the holy of holies, and there were drapes over that that had pictures of the cherubim, among other things. All this stuff was top quality, top notch. In fact, here's a rendering of what it looked like, as we'll show you what it looks like in the picture. You don't have my rendering. Okay, all right, that's all right, no biggie. Well, perhaps the best-known thing that they built, though, and you guys know about this, right, is the Ark of the Covenant. And all I have to say is Indiana Jones, and immediately you guys go, oh, yeah, I know what that's about. So that was the most famous thing that they built. And uh, the ark was really meant to be God's throne on the earth, Uh, his footstool. It's where the high priest would sprinkle blood one time a year uh, for the sins of the people and for their forgiveness. Everything about the furniture that's mentioned in this text, and we won't go into too much detail on this, points to God, and it points to his presence It points to his saving presence, his very nature, and how he rescues us. In fact, the whole holy place and holy of holies was meant to be a little picture of heaven itself. It's kind of a a type, if you will, of a greater glory, a greater reality that we will enjoy in heaven one day when we see God face to face. Building this sense of place required these things pointing to God and His grace. But it also required the laborers using their gifts. The people stepped up to do the work uh, for the Lord. And they did it with their time, their talents, and yes, as we've seen already, their treasures. And they did it as a team. That's the kind of important thing. They did it together as a group. I mean, Josh actually highlighted this. We're about collaborative impact at South Charlotte Press. That means we do things in teams. You may have a lot of talent as an individual, and there are some really super gifted and talented people here, but we prefer to do things in teams together and make decisions together and work together because there's something about common experiences with other people that builds your sense of place. You don't know why you feel so lonely sometime in your work? Because you're at home by yourself doing your work. And sometimes you need to be with a team of people to connect with them. Here's the peculiar thing about this gathering of people using their gifts and the free will offering. Both the calls to give and to serve were couched in these terms. A generous heart. A heart stirred, a spirit moved, a willing heart. In other words, it was a call not to serve with mere duty, but with delight. With delight. 
This is another aspect of serving the Lord. There is a place for duty in serving the Lord. Sometimes it's hard and you push through in faithfulness to the Lord. But we're also meant to enjoy God while we serve him. The chief end of man. I quote Westminster Shorter Catechism, right? Uh, question one. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God. And sometimes we'll just want to stop there. But that's not it. There's more. And enjoy him forever. And take pleasure in him. And just say, this is great. I get to experience you while I serve you in the spirit. Delight cannot happen in your service until you taste God, until you experience Him in grace and forgiveness. Service to the Lord is a call to every believer who's here. Whereas in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings would get the filling of the Holy Spirit that's even described in our texts here, like Bezalel was. Today, we enjoy, through the work of Christ, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and the empowerment as the priesthood of all believers. Uh, that means that every believer here who calls on Christ is filled with the Spirit and given a unique ministry gift and ministry, in many cases, to serve the Lord. Every believer is gifted, not just a few. And let me make this clear. It's really tempting to think the pastors or the paid staff or particularly gifted and things like that. But i got to tell you, the way the Bible sees every Christian is that everybody has a gift to offer in the church. Everybody has something to give. And so the application for us is clear in that every follower of Christ has a Holy Spirit in them and has a spiritual gift. Use your gift for the kingdom. Discover it. If you're struggling with what exactly am I gifted to do and I just don't feel like I know where to serve or how to serve or what I'm about, let's talk about it. Let's identify and think through what that is because usually you discover your gift in community. It just doesn't come out of the blue and you just figure it out one day. It happens in community with other people. So uh, we want to call you to put that uh, gift to work in the church. And here's what happens when you do that. It develops that sense of place. It develops that sense of place. When you dive in and serve in some meaningful way with a team, the sense of place builds even more. Now, as COVID lifts in the months to come, we need people in particular for children's ministry. We need people for setup. I want to call people to think about hosting parties in your home for gathering our people when the time is appropriate relative to COVID, gathering them in our homes people from South Charlotte Press to just hang out because I think we're all starving to hang out and party together in Jesus and invite other people over who are in your neighborhood or among your friends. I want you all to think about that. Who will rise up and do that? Because this is an opportunity for us to recapture a sense of community. And I think Christians of all people should be saying, let's get together when the time's right relative to COVID and let's do life together again. There is a second application, though, I want to give you around using your gifts. And this is to older Christians who are here today. If you've been following Jesus for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, however long it is, I want to tell you something about Bezalel. You know what it says about him in a later chapter? It says he taught the people. He taught people how to serve. 
You know what that means? If you're following Jesus and you're gifted with the Spirit, and you've especially been walking with Jesus for a while, you need to not only serve you as in your gift to satisfy yourself, which is a good thing to some measure, you need to use it by reproducing yourself in discipleship. If you're an older Christian, you need to be discipling, not just serving with your gift, but discipling others to use the same gift. You're a teacher and good at that? Go find a young person who's got some teaching potential and teach them how to teach. If you're a great servant who's like all in, like let me just do things for the church, find other young people who are servants and teach them how to do that. Take them under your wing. If you're a woman here in the church, find younger women to pull under your wing and show them what following Jesus is like, even serving Jesus is like in the church in various and sundry ways. Jesus was a classic example of this. He took his disciples. He served himself. But then, you know what he did? He took them, showed them how to work for the kingdom, and then sent them out to do the same thing, exactly what he'd been doing. That's called reproduction. See, God is calling us to a generous life together. That generous life starts with a grace and a sense of place with God. When you give, it reveals where your heart is. When you serve the Lord and his purposes, you will encounter him in the Holy Spirit. So Moses mobilized the people to give resources to build a kingdom place. But a couple of last questions arise for us. Someone may say, well, isn't this a case for building facilities for a church? And I would say, yes, it is, and no, it isn't. Yes, it is that we need facilities. Facilities like this are a tool for doing ministry. They're never the end game, and if you believe and if you build it, they will come. You're mistaken. It's gospel, Christ, and the ministry we do to love on people, even reach out in the community, that actually makes the use of the building Facilities can serve as a dwelling place of God, but the greater point is this, is that God is with us. That's the greater point of this whole facility thing that's going on with the tabernacle. Someone else may ask, well, why doesn't the church build this stuff like you see in here, these, and we even uh, like a, the ark or have these things around in every little church in some way? Why not do the sacrifices in the mo- anymore? What has changed? Well, the short answer is, through Jesus, everything changed. Everything changed. There is a kind of evolution in the Scriptures around a sense of place, starting with the tent of meeting that Moses actually worked out of, and then that evolved into the tabernacle, which then evolved later on into the temple, David's temple in Jerusalem. And then what happens after that is that in every place there, God is with them. He's with the people. He's Emmanuel. But then comes Christ. In the incarnation, uh, Jesus is the new tabernacle. In fact, John 1 says this. It says, the word became flesh and dwelled or tabernacled among us. In John 2, Jesus says this shocking thing to the Jews while he's in the temple. He says, tear this temple down and I will rebuild it in three days. And he's talking about himself. The implication is Jesus is the ultimate tabernacle, the ultimate temple of the Lord. Let me bring it home here. 
Home is with him. Home is with him. A sense of place ends up being with Jesus, not a mere building. Here's the immediate application. If you sometimes in this world feel like, I don't belong, or wow, I just feel out of place, Christ is your refuge. Christ is your dwelling place. He came into our world to meet us, even in our loneliness. We didn't go to His world, He came to us. And when you're with Him, you are with God. Jesus is therefore the center of community of us. We're not just a God-centered church, we're a Christ-centered church. We look to Him as we wake up and do what we do. We say, there's Jesus. What, are we, what does He want of us? How can we love Him and adore Him today? Jesus is the bread of life who sits in the table of the tabernacle. He is the King ruling in His heavenly and bloody throne. Hebrews 9 tells us more, that He is the one who goes on into the holy place as a priest. And get this, He doesn't offer sacrifices. He offers Himself as the final sacrifice once and for all. See, Jesus not only fulfills the sacrificial system of the tabernacle, He does it on the cross while dwelling with us in history. Jesus isn't done. If you're a follower of Jesus and you rest on that cross and what he's done for you, he also gives you the Holy Spirit. Jesus died on the cross. The temple veil was torn in two. You know that part? And you go, what is that about? Well, that, guys, is where the Holy Spirit is leaving Jerusalem and going into believers like you and me because Jesus has made us temples of the Holy Spirit. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit. Now, as tabernacles ourselves, we have God with us and in us dwelling. And here's what the big challenge of having the Holy Spirit in you and following Jesus is all about. They are calling us to give our resources, our talents, but they want something far more. They want you. Jesus wants you. It's great to give your resources. It's great to give your talents and service to this church. But it means nothing until you've given yourself. Romans 12 says, Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it one more time. Back when I was in high school, end of my senior year, I had the opportunity to go work at a Young Life camp out in Colorado called Frontier Ranch. And I worked for a month out there on the work crew. And man, it was a great experience. And our job on the work crew was simply to be in the background doing all kinds of stuff for the many kids, hundreds of kids who were coming through every month to hear the gospel. And what we would do is, uh, I, in my case, I worked on the... Um, I worked on the outdoor crew, and I had this interesting job where I had to straddle these massive logs and peel logs of all the bark on it with a goal of stacking them up eventually and building this horse barn that apparently is still there to this day. My son went there a few years ago and saw it and said, oh, Dad built that. So in the day, 
I would work on the work crew with the outdoor crew, but at night, here's what I'd do. I'd go work with the guys in the pit crew, washing dishes too. I was the only one doing two jobs. So when the end of the month came and I had been doing all his work, uh, I sat down with our, uh, our uh, supervisor for the whole um, work crew. He did, ev- he did evals for us. And he sat down with me and said, you know, Dean, I love you, man. I wish I had a million of you, how you've given and you've served in so many ways. But there's one thing you lack. I was like, what? He said, you didn't give yourself away. We didn't get to know you. You were too busy serving. I've carried that with myself for 53 years, learning how to give myself away in my marriage with people like you and a whole host of others. You want to know why God is with you? So you'll give yourself to him. That's where you really find a sense of place. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we can't thank you enough that you came into our world and moved towards us in Jesus that we could actually know you and have a sense of place with you, like a place we belong. And and Jesus, we we all want to belong. We all want to experience you. And we pray today that you would blow your spirit in our midst as a congregation and in us individually And that we would taste that sense of not only wanting to be generous with our lives and our resources and even our service, but Lord, to not hold back giving ourselves to you. You are our cornerstone. You're the one whom whom we build our lives on. Lead us, Lord, to trust you as our true sense of place. In Christ's name, amen.